Welcome to Chromecast. Tech it out. Hosted by service-centric, people-first, UK technology consultancy, Chrome Technologies. Welcome to Chromecast. Tech it out. I'm Sam Major, Commercial Director of Chrome Technologies. In this edition of Chromecast, we're talking about legacy system migrations from the hardware to the application layer. And a slight change of format, we've beefed up the intellectual horsepower of this edition, and I'm joined by two people, uh, namely Ben Randall, Technical Director, and Rupert Mills, my founder of Chrome and, and business partner. Chaps, good afternoon. Afternoon. Well, good afternoon. morning. I don't know how long it's taken us to set up, but we'll go with afternoon. Afternoon. Let's go with that. Perfect. <laughs> so, a change of format, the idea being that today, uh, hopefully, we're going to dig into a bit more technically than usual, based mm. on some client feedback as well. People want to see more of Ben Randall, so we'll give the people what they want. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and just looking at the, the, the subject matter, so we've recently done our customer satisfaction survey and feedback from that has, has given us the data that actually people are very interested in migrations specifically from kind of legacy platforms, be that you know, desktop platforms through to kind of big end infrastructure, the how I think people have potentially due to the pandemic, people have kind of got on with doing business and not necessarily done some of the, the heavy lifting we'd have done in years before. Now that's caught up with people and people are looking at things like server refresh, migrations to the cloud. It could be platform, you know, new platforms on premise, et cetera, et cetera. But as we know, there's a whole raft of, of challenges that, that can come with that. Uh, and if we work, uh, again, I'll use my cheat notes, but if we kind of look at that from, from if we go top down, bottom up, whichever one look at it, kind of starting at the hardware, because if we're doing a migration or refresh, clearly we've got you know, the hardware, the software, the applications all intrinsically linked. But we sometimes had to look at this as independent parts to make migrations and so on work. Sure. Yeah, I mean, if we were addressing it for a, a client, and as we often do, you kind of look at the four different stages. You've kind of got the, the hardware, the virtualization layer, if it's relevant, the operating system layer, and then the application layer. And you're right, you've got to take all of those into account when you're looking at it as to what are you trying to do? Which, which of those are you trying to get away from, if not all of them? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we can start with the hardware layer. It's a, as good as any. Um, and there's a lot of changes in hardware that are going on at the moment. Obviously, you've got a lot of migration to SSD going on at the moment. So um, a lot of new storage arrays and stuff, if you're sticking with on-premise arrays, are SSD-based. You've got to look at the suitability for the the stuff you're putting in it, the data you're putting in it, mm. and work out whether or not it's going to fit on SSDs or how the various different compression and encryption algorithms within the... Um, or how the various different compression and data reduction algorithms within the platform will work with the data you've got. So historically you used to say, I need 100 terabytes of data and we get 100 terabytes of storage. Yeah. Now what tends to happen is you say, I've got 100 terabytes of data, well you actually need 20 terabytes of storage or 10 terabytes of storage. Yeah. And that's been around for a little while now, but certainly with hardware migrations, that's becoming a bigger and bigger concern to make sure you size it appropriately. And then the chipsets are moving forward so fast from Intel at the moment that, that actually you've got to look at what you get out of the new horsepower and the new chips compared to what you got historically and sizing those correctly as well. There's some there's some horrible old chips around which you can accidentally buy <laughs> or you can end up with some with, with exactly what you need in the newer chipsets and, so, and a lot of horsepower. But you've got to do that sizing operation perhaps in more detail than you ever did before. Yeah, I suppose also you're looking at potentially if you're splitting that, so you could be on-premise to part on-prem, part cloud. Again, yeah. not all data is equal and needs to live in the same place. Mm. And like you said, also the, the yeah the thought process there behind. Historically, you kind of have gone same for same, but a bit newer. Mm. But if you're splitting your data sets and you put it elsewhere, it might be, do we need, everyone's trying to push SSD, let's not get away from that, but spinning rust is still available. And might that be a suitable medium 
yeah. what you need if your part put into the cloud. Yeah, I mean, depending on the solution as well, you may get a lot more performance than you expect out of, of a traditional mechanical uh, mm. spinning disk um, hard drive. You know, if you've got enough spindles, you can actually get some surprising performance. Yeah, and they're not, let's be honest, mm. they're not expensive. Mm. Some of the, the vendors, <coughs> obviously, never knows Dell. We like Dell, um, but the, the <laughs> ME4 takes a vast amount of spindles. They can get a huge amount of performance for quite a cost-effective solution, but that's many U compared to a power store mm. full of SSD with four to one data, uh, yeah, or that'd be yeah. six to one with the next firmware, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, I guess sizing yeah. that up. There's a certain amount you can look at with what you've got at the operating system layer as well, like data deduplication, which is now available in Windows Server, for example. Mm. That can actually, you know, at the, the, the operating system level, you can actually achieve some of the economies there from older servers which you you know so over 2012 you may not have had that depending on your file system so um you know that can be part of your migration does i guess point your question on that does that make some of the functionality that vendors have built into arrays obsolete because obviously dgp and compression has been a big as you've just said it used to be you buy 100 terabytes of disk for 100 terabytes of data or 130 terabytes of disk for 100 terabytes of data and now you can buy less because obviously we fit more in but mm. that's because dgp and compression has been done at the array primarily. Well, the DG mm. compression has been in the arrays for a long time now. The yeah. difference has been that historically it's been optional. So you'd be able to say, actually, do you or don't you use it? So you know that in a worst case scenario, as you say, 100 terabytes of data, 100 terabytes of disk, but you can then turn on DGP and compression and get more for it. Mm. Now, when you're getting the SSD arrays that are all flash, basically you're getting to that point of you don't have an option. It's on by default yeah. and you can't turn it off. And you have to rely on that because you can't price 100 terabytes of flash compared to 100 terabytes of spinning disk and expect it to be anywhere in the same market. No. So, but they rely on that technology to bring it in. Um, so, so that's important. But yeah, you're, in terms of the operating system, making some of it redundant, it's been doing that for a while now. And there's that choice of do you do it in the hardware vendor, do you do it in the operating system? And there's, there's different places to, to look at what you do there. So for example, even with things like vSAN and stuff that's been around for ages, you've been looking at, that's the virtualization there. So it's in between the two. Mm. Um, so you've kind of got different places to do all of that. And that's part of when we talked about at the beginning, planning exercise, getting that planning exercise right, mm. is if you do your planning properly, you can work out where you're going to use those. And also which of them might conflict with each other, because some of them, if you turn one on, it won't you won't see the impact because you've got the other one on or whatever. No, it's going to once. Yeah, and you, you've got to look at what you're doing there as well, or alternatively, whether or not it's going to hugely impact performance. If you turn on DGP in two different places, are you going to suddenly see the performance drops through the floor mm. because it can't cope with doing it in both locations? So, yeah, Before we jump into virtualization, though, a couple of things I know we've, we've done, you guys, not me, you guys have done a lot around this, but it's kind of the hardware sizing, pre-migration into cloud, but also, mm. what do we call it, the kind of compatibility bit? So if we're looking at uh, legacy subsystem A, and to mm. get it into new subsystem B, that's not necessarily, to coin the phrase, next, next, finish. Um, <laughs> but it's not as easy as just drag and drop the data, and we've seen some of those challenges. Well, yeah, it depends. In in some cases, there may be a supported migration path. You know, for example, different SANs from the same vendor may have a, a direct migration without, you know, minimizing your downtime, maybe able to replicate volumes over to the newer storage. Um, and also, um, other operating systems may have a direct migration path. So it's, it's something to think about mm. um, whether you're going to have to do a forklift upgrade, basically, or whether you can do something much more seamless. And that's a, that's a consideration for sure. Yeah. I'll chuck the pre-sizing for cloud on your way, if you don't mind. Yeah, mm. fine. Um, yeah, it's just as important when you're looking at lifting and shifting an environment, not only just look at what hardware you've got on-prem, but look at what hardware you're 
specification you're putting it into in the cloud. Mm. Cloud is charged on metered usage as a rule of thumb. Yeah. Um, and if you're using the wrong size virtual machine, if you've got a, a historic virtualization estate on your uh, on site mm. and the hardware is overspec, you can give away RAM, CPU counts, etc., to, to machines because you don't care. You've already paid for that hardware. Yeah. As soon as you put it into the cloud, if you put something in that's five times the size it needs to be, you're going to be paying five times as yeah. much for it, even if it's not using that performance because the virtual machine's spun up at that rate. Yeah. There's the, the migration to cloud technologies, which is different, that comes further down the stack. But if you're just lift and shifting the virtual machines, you've got to look at making sure that you potentially resize them as part of that lift and shift so you don't end up paying a huge bill you weren't expecting. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, with, with migrated to the cloud, you've got that ability to change instance type. Yeah. It actually becomes very much easier, thankfully, but um, that is a huge consideration. Yeah. Prices, you know, the, the so cost of that to look at that, though, because we've seen before yes. people have gone wholesale, kind of as we are into the cloud, and then the unexpected bill arise, and, <laughs> and yet we've seen people still will pay that bill and won't actually take the time to look at just by adjusting to the right size how much money can be saved. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And there's, there's various software we can run to do that automatically on a regular basis, as we've talked about in previous podcasts, but actually doing it at the point you, you migrate as a baseline is a good idea. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Okay, so I'll shuffle you on. Obviously, desperate to talk about virtualization, so I'll, I'll, I'll chuck that one back in your lap as well. Quite so desperate, but yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, the, the, the big issue actually is that lots of people have sat on a virtualization stack for a long time and said, actually, it's working, it's good, etc. You patch it, you move it forwards, but it's amazing the amount of virtualization stacks out there that aren't patched properly because people look at patching their OS layer, but not the virtualization. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden, ransomware vendors have started targeting the virtualization stack, which is pushing people into those upgrades. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is that you've got supported hardware platforms. So, I mean, yeah. you know, hardware compatibility in terms of... Absolutely, yeah, to, to keep up with the latest uh, release of, well, of any operating system, but yeah, specifically the hardware stuff, um, you need to have hardware which is up to the spec of the latest VMware or Hyper-V release. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's important. Yeah, it's driving off that previous hardware conversation is actually if you want to go from, let's say, VMware 6.5 to 7 and your hardware isn't on the hardware compatibility list, you may find that actually it drives a hardware migration at the same time. So you've got to think of actually checking all those compatibility checks before you go and do that migration. And then again, supported migration paths. So we've bumped into quite a few times of people saying, oh, we're going to upgrade VMware. Actually, the easiest way to do it, and historically, a lot of the time, the easiest way to do it was say, oh, we'll just build a new vCenter, connect everything to it. One of the big gotchas at the moment is people with backup systems where you say, actually, the backup system now ties into your virtualization yeah. rather than your operating system. And if you just do a wholesale replacement of your vCenter, all of a sudden your backup footprint doubles because historically oh, you've yeah. got that issue of yeah. your backup is there and it's versioned. If you back it up from a new vCenter, it sees it all as new backup, so your backup footprint doubles. So again, the gotcha is, well, we've got a cloud backup service. Suddenly we've doubled the amount of data we're consuming in the cloud yeah. backup service. And by the time you've done that, it's too late to think about it. So yeah. well, we've seen this one a couple of times, haven't we? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's, it's something you have to consider. And so actually upgrading the vCenter, which is a bit harder than just build, spinning up a new one, is something you have to seriously consider if you've got that situation. Yeah, you've got to, you've got to take those things into consideration and, and work it out. It's, um, but yeah, in, the, the virtualization stack is considered an easy option, but actually mm. you've got to give a bit more thought these days because of all the integrations with it. Yeah. Just on, on the back, this is a really easy question for you to ask. It's either no, and I'll be quiet, um, but you're talking about obviously backing up previous versions of VMware and so on and this and so forth. If you're restoring to a later version or a newer version of VMware, is there any issue putting that from a backup and then mounting it if it thinks it should be mounted to 6.5 and now you've got version 7, etc.? That's an interesting question, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that the 
it depends on the version. I, I think that there is backwards compatibility mm -hmm. in the newer versions. Um, I don't know how far back we can go, yeah. but um, there's certainly for a previous version or two versions, I think you're okay, but you're essentially re restoring the, the VMDK files or the virtual disk files. Yeah. Um, and so they remain compatible. Um, but yeah, that's definitely something to consider if you're restoring a very old backup, like an archive, oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, that will be the situation where you start to run into problems. Also, what operating system is supported to be virtualized? So if we were to go way back, you know, yeah. a very old version like NT or something, is that supported anymore on your latest uh, hypervisor stack? Going quite way back to NT. Yeah, but the, the potential is there. I mean, we have had clients who've got, had systems they wanted to run on NT. So, um, you know, legacy systems clearly, which are very ripe for, for, for migration. <laughs> yeah, I mean, around this, when we get to the, the application side of this, we had one particular client who was running systems that date back to 1978. Um, I remember from, from the discussions with them, and actually they couldn't get off them because they couldn't get the data out. And there's a, when you look at that conversation piece is, is where, where, do you, which, which, where do you lift that and move it forwards? Yeah. yeah, I guess that's we're talking about migration, but when we get into that sort of stuff, we're talking kind of active archive, archive conversation a lot more, or potentially ELT that sort of stuff. But it's it's people wouldn't necessarily be pulling that from a backup, so that wouldn't be the yeah. use case for it. So no. potentially, it's being painful in conversation for no reason, Ben. <laughs> The one thing that you can think about with the virtualization or virtualized backup restores is that obviously we can use that as a cloud migration path as well. So generally you can restore back to a different platform. It's just, yeah, it's the devil's in the detail, as Ben said. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess if you're talking, as you're looking at either it's you've got a kind of certified way within a vendor's platform. So you're going from a, a Dell this to a Dell that or a NetApp this to a NetApp that, but it's nice and easy. If it's, if they're different vendors, that we can do with things like, let's say, VMware could do that, or from backup, there's yeah. different options available to us. Or Hyper-V to VMware, VMware to Hyper-V, yeah. depending on what the right choice is going forwards again, because vendors are changing licensing models and all the rest of it. So when you're moving forward to that new platform, you've got to look at, again, right-sizing the, um, the virtualization infrastructure as well as the, the hardware. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> okay. A fair bit for me to try and digest and pretend I understand. Um, so moving up that stacks and uh, we move up to virtualization into the operating system. Mm -hmm. I guess there's some, some interesting challenges there that we've got facing us with. Obviously, as we just touched on some legacy operating systems. Also, I know Windows 11, et cetera, is on the horizon. There's some interesting yeah. stuff there. Well, even closer than the horizon, it's basically here, well, isn't yeah. it? So, uh, yeah, there, there's, there's hardware considerations with Windows 11. Um, the... Requirements. Let's drill into that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. So, so, some of that was news to me. Yeah, so we've got like the requirement for the TPM 2.0, which is Trusted Platform Module, uh, which is the security uh, chip essentially in the, in the, within the hardware. Um, version 2.0 was released in November 2019. So it's quite recently, really. So if you've got an estate of laptops, for example, that's older than that, then you may need to see if there's a, you know, what, what can be done about, you know, whether you need to, whether that's going to be compatible, yeah. to be honest. So, but this is this TPM module. Yes. I thought was a standard theme. It's, it's a cost option with some of the, the vendors that we're looking at. So it could be that, and that, that it's not guaranteed no, to be exactly. in your It wasn't required in Windows no. 10. And then that release date, mm. I hate to remind everyone, but 2019 backs us right back into kind of just pre-pandemic. And we all know that the first few months of 2020 was a complete bun fight for everyone trying to grab devices, laptops, it's all work from home. So there's yep. a raft of devices out there that we know people grabbed at anything. Mm. You know, the spec wasn't the most important thing, it was just having a device. So there's probably, yeah. and, and there, everything went 
you know, so there's probably a lot of devices that do have TPM and some that don't. So it will be a consideration for certain people that want to now move to, to Windows 11 and, and leverage that, that potentially are kind of bound by the, the parameters of the hardware that they've purchased unknowingly. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if they're going to sweat that asset for five yeah. years, you may be looking at a 2025 release um, or 2025 migration date, mm, yeah. which doesn't leave you that long to get off Windows 10, to be fair. Um, Not some people. No, indeed. <laughs> so, but, but yeah, it's, as Ben said, the TPM stuff, the whole idea of security in the operating system. Windows 10, you could turn BitLocker on and off, for example. The TPM piece was optional. Windows 11, they've made it compulsory to make it a more secure operating system. Mm. You can understand why, because yeah. it drives the whole market forward and, and will, will drive forward the reputation of the operating system as being more secure, etc. It just means that you're locking out all of the people who traditionally have said, oh, I'll, I'll sweat this asset for five years, seven years, nine years in some clients' cases. Yeah, years. yeah exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, in fairness, we've had pretty good mileage out of that with the, the Windows 7, 8, Windows 10 generations have actually been quite lenient, really, if I look back in my history that the, the um, supported hardware, your laptop went, went obsolete very quickly. I think we've actually got quite, you know, as, you, as you put it, sweated out the, mm. the, the asset for quite a long time. We've done quite well out of that. But yeah. now is that, that time is a, is a clear delineation where we've got a, a, an object, you know, a piece of hardware which probably or may not be in there. So Yeah, I mean, the minimum specs haven't jumped that far again either, no. have they? Because you're still talking 64 gig for the OS mm -hmm. and you're talking 4 gig of RAM. Um, so actually, really we, four gig of RAM, though, no, it won't really be four gig of RAM, but honest, minimum spec. Yeah, uh, yeah, but it's, it'll run barely, <laughs> yeah. barely. If you run Teams on it, though, that'll fall over fairly quickly. Yeah, but I mean, we we all know that minimum specs are are not to be. Um, yeah, not, not <laughs> don't, to be don't aim for the minimum spec. Yeah, exactly. No. Don't, don't aim there unless you want your user experience to be minimum spec. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but the the bottom line is that the minimum spec hasn't really changed that much no. in terms of you can still run it on the older hardware. In theory, mm. the one that will be overlooked is people going, oh yeah, we can roll this estate out. And unless you've got a way of, for example, if they need a firmware flash to bring them up to the latest TPM firmwares, again, for security reasons, do you have a method for flashing your entire state's firmware? Because most people have got a method for rolling out a Windows update or similar. Yeah. Um, and if they haven't, they should have. But on the, on the other side of things, do people have a method for rolling out a firmware update? They're not always that simple. Um, so there's, in, when you're doing that migration, you've got to think about, are we going to need a manual touch on those machines or are we going to need a large wholesale hardware replacement? As you said, the people that snapped out and bought quick, what's on the shelf? Can I have a thousand of those to get them rolled out to our users? Are they suddenly going to find that actually they need to replace that thousand machines, which may mean an earlier budget cycle, or it may mean delaying the, the upgrade cycle. So, but certainly it's a consideration. There's DirectX 12 as well, isn't there? So yes, I believe the, so. Yeah, the, graphics. the graphics card needs to be capable of, um, of DirectX 12 or above um, as, as it comes around. So, yeah. Any other thoughts on kind of the operating system level and considerations there? Because I'm quite keen to switch you both on to talking about the application there and getting into that. No, I think the, uh, we've already touched on the, the, that, um, the hardware for the, for the laptops and so on. There's certain considerations about what the operating system can support in terms of uh, disk volumes and so on. Mm -hmm. um, there are some things like you maybe need to consider on Windows Server, for example, if you're using refs volumes, that if you are considering disconnecting drives and connecting to the other servers, that's strictly speaking not a portable drive format. So it's okay to go up a volume, but if you up a version, yeah. if you go back again, you won't be able to read the data. So there's things like that you need to, then. yeah, you do need to consider that. But if you're going upwards, you, you know, backwards compatibility is good, but yeah. going back the other way, not so much. Try yeah. to avoid it. Yeah. Okay. 
yeah, obviously server versions moving forwards. It's, it's going to become in the future largely similar to what they're doing with their stock version, I'm sure. Um, so it's worth considering whether or not you buy your servers with a TPM chip in them at the same time yes. these days if you're doing server upgrades because it's, uh, it's, 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 it. yeah, it's not a lot of money. I think it was £150 extra or something like that when we did it recently for a client that didn't have TPM in the servers. Um, and you, can, you could actually buy them in the servers as a plug-in module later. Um, but it's worth, um, worth considering that that might become part of what you're trying to achieve in the in the long run as well. Yeah. Okay, so kind of going from server, then kind of my brain naturally leads us up into the application layer. Um, and we've seen over the last couple of years challenges with people, I guess, having fun with vendors uh, around some of the commercials that will cost them to migrate uh, some of this data from uh, either live or legacy platforms. Um, and I know, Rupert, specifically, you've had uh, a Bit of work in this area. Yeah, one or two. Yeah, exactly. So it'd be good just to get, uh, I guess, some some information out of you. So the sort of thing, sort of things you've seen, challenges people are facing. So it's not a one-time thing. We've had a, more than a few instances we've helped people, but it's an ongoing challenge that people are facing. Yeah, sure. So I mean, you've kind of got different things there. So you've got the the standard applications that people will look at. So they'll talk about things like Office and stuff like that. We we go through that all the time of how you're going to upgrade to the latest version of Office. What you're going to do to upgrade to the latest version of whatever it might be, Sage, SAP, whatever, you, whatever you're doing on the client side. And there's the client upgrades. I mean, we talked about earlier about operating systems. There's operating newer deployment mechanisms. So a whole load of Azure joined stuff, such as Autopilot and stuff, for getting operating systems out, deploying new apps while you're doing that, et cetera, can, can be built into those. Um, so there's, there's the client side of applications to get out there. But in terms of the actual thing that's really locking people in on legacy platforms, generally seems to be data. So if you've got a major issue with an old application, a legacy application, and you need to get that data out, it's not uncommon at all for vendors to play the, well, there's no way to get that data out. You need to do this and you need to keep buying our platform for the next 25 years, whatever it might be. Um, and more often than not, we've done a lot of work in sort of the ETL space recently, sort of extraction, transformation, and load for, um, for, the, sake of, for the sake of completeness, <laughs> um, where you're basically saying, actually, let's have a look at that system and how we can get the data out. Yeah. We did one just recently where one of the large database vendors um, was suggesting that it would take, well, they'd need to spend, I think it's a quarter of a million pounds on upgrading licenses and keeping the system ad infinitum. And we said that we thought we could get the data out in about 20 days rather than doing that and then give them the data, so they, the client the data so they could do something else with it. Um, we proposed the three-day POC and actually we did the whole job in the three-day POC. So it was kind of quarter of a million pounds versus... Quarter of a million pounds, that's obviously a significant saving. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was... Um, it, but it's, it's not uncommon. We yeah. see it a lot in the space of trying to get stuff out of legacy applications. As a rule of thumb, vendors, and I don't want to tar them all with the same brush, but as a rule of thumb, vendors will often try and keep you on their platform by pointing yeah. out how hard it is to migrate away. Of course. Um, our job in a lot of these situations is to actually look at if the right thing to do is to stay on that vendor's platform, stay there, upgrade it, bring it in in that whole cycle that we've been talking about and get them up to the current version. And then you go back through the usual cycle of what are the supported hardware versions, what are the supported software versions, operating systems that are supported, and then you put the latest application on there. Yeah. But actually, in a lot of cases where people are talking about like migrating away from legacy systems, which is what came out in the customer satisfaction survey, they're talking about how do I get rid of that thing that's 20 years old ticking in the corner that I don't need anymore? Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, we see it a lot in the M&A work. Ben and I have just been um, on a project where they're moving from a very large organization into, they've, they've carved off a small, mm. small piece of it and our client has bought that small piece. And actually we're looking at 
getting involved in the various different carve outs of the systems going there. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that's not needed from, for example, a very big SAP installation. Now, they've got their own SAP expert working on that, but for, that's just one example where not taking all of that across is saving them millions in SAP licensing costs. Yeah. Again, we did a job recently with SAP where you needed the piece of data out of it, not the legacy SAP system. And actually we were able to extract the piece of data using the APIs that connect into SAP, yeah. give that back to the client and save them the need to license SAP for some sometime in the future, or those yeah. components of SAP. Yeah, the actual volume of data might be considerably smaller than the original whole system you're looking at, you know, yeah. so in terms of even the volume of data you have to move, it's it's comparatively small. It's just understanding what, what that is, yeah. working at the application layer to extract it. That's it, and normally it's the compliance or the data governance teams who are making you hold on to that data for valid reasons. It's yeah. okay, mm. you need to hold this for seven years and be able to access it. That doesn't mean you've got to hold it in the source system. So mm. a lot of the time you can say, Actually, I've still got the data. I can still pull back whatever we were meant to keep mm. for regulatory reasons, but I don't need it in the source system. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It comes down to kind of where we started on this going full circle. We're looking at types of data. Not all data is equal, isn't it? Yeah. So looking at that information, you know, you need, potentially you need some of it, but do you need to be running a very expensive system just in case? If we can transform it and move it somewhere else, we can still get access to the raw data. We don't need all the, the trimmings that we're paying a fortune for. Yeah that weren't really doing much other than costing us an awful amount. Yeah, yeah especially if, it, if it's, if it, say, if it's data that you're just going to refer to, essentially it's read-only, Yeah. so you're not really working with it in the same way as you were, you're just referring back to it, then there's a whole load of functionality you don't need in the no. system you're migrating it to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we had a very interesting conversation recently with a potential client where they've got an AI platform they want to feed a load of data into and actually getting access to all that legacy data will enable them to feed their AI and let the AI learn a lot faster yeah. by accessing all the legacy data. And it's a question of someone to a system with that piece in the middle to get the data out of the legacy systems and feed it into the modern systems. Uh, and that's a whole new take on it as well. So, but it's, it's migrating away from those legacy systems yeah. and doing either keeping the data for just compliance reasons, parking it away somewhere and read only as Ben said, mm. or saying actually we want to feed it into something new and, and modernize the whole system. Do something tangible with it. Yeah, exactly. Brilliant. So we've done all sorts. And we should continue to do so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, listen, guys, thank you very much. It's been really interesting today. Uh, I'm sure we'll be doing more of this. So hopefully we can get some more, I guess, deeper technical information than, than certainly I bring to the table. So thank you very much. I'll start again. Thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yep, thanks. Cheers, guys. And thank you for joining us on this edition of Chromecast, Tech and Out. Uh, by all means, leave feedback in the comments section below on if you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Remember to like, comment, subscribe and share. Join us again next time for Chromecast. Take it out. We hope you have enjoyed this episode. For more information or to speak to Chrome, visit www.chrome.co.uk spelled K-R-O-M-E. That's chrome.co.uk.